I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Show. I'm Steve W. Steve D is with me. Paul is with me. We've got a jam-packed show that's about half the length of our usual shows. Um, and we're really looking forward to getting started. So, Steve, Paul, how are you? How have your weeks been? Um, I've been pretty good. I've been very, very busy uh, in the stock market. We had a bit of drop today. Uh, today is Monday or Tuesday. And, and I've just read Tuesday. that the stocks stocks have dropped 500 uh Dow's dropped 500 points today and today I added in another one and a half grand so I'm almost about halfway through my ISA now um and I'm still dumping even though some of my stocks dropped about five percent today so I'm about about five percent up unrealized gains uh it's it still feels tough it still feels very hard out there and we're it's worth saying that we are recording this prior to the UK uh, interest rate announcement and the Federal Reserve announcement, which is either Wednesday or Thursday. So this comes out on Sunday and we have no idea what's going to happen to the market from there. And and to be honest with you, I don't know if we care. I certainly don't care too much. I don't know what Steve D thinks. No, I, I, I don't really care either, to be honest. Um, I, uh, I mean, I, I'm interested to watch it. Of course I am. But uh, the outcome of it is is too short term for my level of thinking. Um, so I'm the same as you, Paul. I think we're kind of suffering this uh, extended market realisation that uh, FedEx delivers an awful lot of packages. And when it doesn't deliver an awful lot of packages, that means quite a lot of people have been selling things. Mm-hmm. Um, even though how insulated we are from that in the UK because um, I don't see an awful lot of FedEx around here. They're definitely not one of our main couriers, I don't think. But um, you know, I, get a, I, I think, get a bit of FedEx. Yeah, yeah, yeah I well, do. I see UPS. I don't think I ever see FedEx over here. But, um, I mean, some of our stocks, even like things like Ocado, which almost definitely don't use FedEx, have, have absolutely bombed recently. But I think there's more to that than just, just that alone. It's maybe mm. a trigger point to realize extended weakness. But yeah, same as you, Paul, I'm about one and a half percent down the day, about three percent on the, uh, the, the more risky portfolio. And, uh, it's looking a little bit grim. Steve, how about you? I'm not quite sure where I am on the day. Today is Tuesday, by the way, uh, just in case anyone was sort of unsure. It does feel like a Monday, though, in fairness to Paul. It was the Queen's funeral yesterday, which made it feel very much like a, a sort of weekend day. Um, and the UK markets weren't open, but the US ones were. Um, I think my portfolio has been sort of gradually sort of retreating back a little bit. Nothing too particularly dramatic, but... Uh, as Paul says, there's a couple of interest rate decisions coming up over the next couple of days. The US is tomorrow by our standards and four days ago by your uh, timings. And I think they're at two point two and a half percent at the moment, interest rates with expected 3.25. Uh, the UK is the day after interest rates currently 1.75, expected to go to two and a quarter. Um, those are sort of interesting-ish, only in that it will be... I guess the main thing I take from these is... It, I'm interested in how accurate these kind of predictions are and how well the market is kind of gauging uh, inflation and the central bank response to it and so on. There isn't much that I feel differently about at its current price with interest rates at two and a quarter versus 1.75 or at 3.25 versus two and a half. There's nothing where I think it's going to give me a 3% return uh, particularly and therefore no at 3.25 I'm not interested but at two and a half yeah sure uh, something like that. So I, I think I'm I'm kind of interested. I like following this stuff along and I like looking for kind of overreactions, I suppose. Um, but I'm also getting to the point where I'm filling out my ISA reasonably well and might need to start thinking about how I want to do that. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty uh, crazy. Go on. Um, we're going to put our, I'm going to make you put your uh, predicting powers on the line here. 0.75 or 1? What are we doing? Uh, interest rate rise. Yeah, no. So, oh. <laughs> yes, just rate rise, yes. 
Okay, so I heard the um, the interest rate rise was either going to be half or 0.75. So out of those two, I'll take 0.75 um, okay. as the one that I was... I heard an 80%. The most recent numbers I heard were the market is pricing in an 80% chance of 0.75 and a 20% chance of 0.5. And at that level of detail, it means absolutely nothing uh, to me. <laughs> yeah. I don't really care what an 80% rather than a 92% rather than a 74% looks like here, right? Um, but I'll take 0.75 as the, uh, the US rate hike thing and i'm waiting for powell to shock me by going mad yes what would you rather it be what would you rather it be both of you uh 0.75 for me is absolutely fine i don't think that's going to make a massive difference in the long term what will make a difference in the long term is getting inflation under control and then uh, easing off the pedal um and uh, you know allowing allowing uh America to breathe a little bit, but um, mm. yeah, I, I to be fair, 0.75 and 0.5 are really much of a muchness as far as I'm concerned. It's still going up, and that's what matters. That's it. I, I'd prefer them to go for one at this point and just get it, you know, rip the band-aid off, and, and hopefully I'm in a good enough financial position to keep myself afloat. I don't know what that means for other people out there, but um, at, the, at this point, this very slow slog of uncertainty seems to be having a big effect on the markets. And I think places like the UK and the US and obviously the uh, European Central Bank is having a good go as well. I think it needs to give itself some breathing room so it can cope with the next big problem that's, uh, that is probably not that far on the horizon. Very interesting. Well, today um we've got a few things to talk about i think steve the steves have got a couple of stocks to talk about i'm hearing good things about them and me i'm coming from andrew tate's one of andrew tate's um brothels in romania somewhere uh by the looks of things my my sexy lighting in the bath in the background but i wanted to talk to you guys about something that that came up the other day now i'm listening to the uh, rational reminder podcast quite a bit I, I really like those guys and i know some of you guys listen to it sometimes but i don't think you've listened to this episode and they came no. up with a um they uh found some research on financial literacy and how much it affects you in total return over the over your lifetime and according to one study i think it was called optimal financial knowledge and wealth inequality it found that if you have any form of financial literacy and you pass a test that's out there and we're going to play this game guys when you guys are going to answer some of these financial literacy questions and see if you are considered financial liter financially literate and the guys at home uh, if you want to play this as well you can find out if you're financially literate as well uh, apparently if you can pass this test you are you are likely to increase your total gains arbitrarily by 30 to 40 percent so if you if you compare lots of different people over the course of their lifetime the financially literate ones will increase their wealth by 30 to 40 percent more than the financially illiterate people so it's a very very important test to take and there's lots of different um studies about this the, the one they were talking about i think was in canada but i was actually in france at the time that i was listening to it so i actually googled the french one which had some german um uh things in it and it had also uk and it find we found that in the uk only 55 percent of people are considered financially literate uh sorry that's financially illiterate those 55 percent of people so more than half of people in the uk are considered financially illiterate which i thought was really really interesting in one way and considering that uh, you can earn 30 40 percent off this just by knowing some of these simple rules about personal finance i just thought this was really interesting one for uh, the guys at home to listen to so We'll go through this and remember, uh, if you don't know this, guys, you, you're going to be down 30, 40 percent tomorrow. So if you get these uh, wrong and the people at home get these wrong, um, you're going to be down 30, 40 percent your whole portfolio by tomorrow. Uh, that's the point <laughs> to this. Um, so <laughs> are you ready to hear question one? Yes. Okay. 
Right. Number, question number one, very, very simple question. Is it safer to invest in a single business or invest into multiple businesses? That's the, that's the first question. And by the way, this is from the French um, test, and it's not from the Canadian or US test, but it's, it's uh, similar questions worded slightly differently globally. So what would your answer be? <laughs> it's really simple, guys. <laughs> Don't overthink yeah. it. Don't overthink I mean, it. It's the simple answer. So we're supposed to be we're supposed to take the idea that diversification protects you from one of your stocks going wrong and therefore you get more safety by investing in a multiplicity of kind of businesses. I mean, I guess there's a thought Absolutely. there that kind of more sophisticated investors than me tend to want to argue about this and say, well, look, if I pick a load of businesses, all I'm going to be doing is sticking them into my fifth best idea when I could have stuck them into my first best idea. But in general, for the likes of me, if you're not that sure about your ideas and you're kind of not that confident, you can rank your top idea down to your 10th idea pretty accurately. You are safer by buying multiple businesses and watching them all fail. So the... The common misconception, you're right, by the way, but um, the common misconception here between particularly stock investors like us is that, that you have to be concentrated to get the returns. And the actual evidence studied over many, many years shows that diversity, while it does limit the size of your returns, so by, by having a concentrated portfolio, you are more, you are it is possible for you to increase returns, but by having a diversified portfolio, you can still get some great returns. You're not likely to get those amazing returns, but you are significantly more likely to not lose money. And that's the important thing here. So you're accepting a 10% gain year, year over year to lower the chance of not losing money at all. Whereas if you were concentrating your portfolio, you would be risking a lot of money and a lot of people do lose they reckon it's almost like 90 percent of people will lose on a concentrated portfolio uh, but those ones that win win big and that's the that's the common misconception here and they they the french government say that if you consider that you need a diversified portfolio you are have one point this is number this is one point of six so congratulations guys you've made it through the first round and what you need uh, here you only need three i think of the six oh. of the six questions but that was that, that one was based around diversity number two rank these financial products from less risky to the riskiest and that saving account, stock, bond, or a share of a mutual fund. So you've got saving Ooh. accounts, stocks, bonds, or shares of mutual funds. Okay. Uh, I would suggest in that case that the answer they're trying to get us to give here is that savings accounts are the least risky, then bonds, then mutual funds, then stocks. Yeah, it's good. It's um, it is yeah, it is the idea that stocks and businesses are more risky than the mutual funds, even though mutual funds uh, are. It's it's another uh, slant on the diversification question. So it's the the idea that stocks and mutual funds are both stock picking, and we consider that seventy percent of people lose money in the market when they're stock picking, according to the average investor. Only they only make two percent actually having money in a mutual fund is more diversified than having money in a stock and that's the idea there so number two correct there for you guys number three if the cost over the food uh, if the cost of food over the next five years doubles and your income also doubles will you be able to buy more less or the same amount of food in five years i'll read that again if the cost of food over the next five years doubles and your income also doubles, will you be able to buy more, less, or the same amount of food in the next five years? So Steve and I have got the same face on at the moment, which is the face that says, <laughs> this is a trick question somehow, but we're not quite sure how. It's um, not. But... Very important to know that it's not. <laughs> right? I'm being yeah, serious. Okay. It's not. And this, Take is, it away, this Steve. is the problem, right? <laughs> if you have a, if, if you have a fifty thousand pound salary and you have um, 
you spend fifty thousand on food, then you're going to end net. You know, you're going to end up net average, aren't you? If both double, but I suppose the idea is here that you're going to probably spend less on food than you are on uh, receiving no, salary. Hopefully, you're right. Yeah, I'm going to go with this you, the same. I reckon it's the yeah. same. You're going to end up spending the ma- same amount of your. You're massively overthinking it. Honestly, but that mathematically doesn't make any sense because if you have fifty thousand and you double it to a hundred, you only spend two thousand, and that goes to four thousand of food. You could buy a lot more food. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you, but well, yes. Um, but the answer <laughs> don't say no. The, the answer, <laughs> the answer is the same. Okay, if if inflation doubles and your and your your wages double, they they're going to end up at the same price in five years. It's very simple. But that's assuming um, that the price of everything else doubles as well as food, right? So you have to send out the same amount on like gas and. Um, the, so I knew on this and so was forth, going to be a problem. I knew this was going to be a problem <laughs> with you guys. I knew this was going to be a problem. It's a simple. <laughs> Financial literacy test. Very simple. If that's the answer, I'd still want to be illiterate. <laughs> it's very. It's a very simple understanding of how inflation works. That's all it's supposed to go. It's always. Sorry, right, Steve. There's still three more questions. <laughs> no, sorry, we'll pass this. It's a very. It's a very simple understanding of how inflation works, and believe it or not, uh, it's. Um, a lot of people, this is the second most failed question of them all because everybody seems to think because you're, because you earn more in the next, in over the next couple of years, they believe that you will have more buying power. And it's, it's designed to teach people about or see what people's level of understanding about inflation. And a lot of people say uh, fail here. <laughs> Number four, suppose that you need to borrow a hundred pounds. Which is the lower amount that you have to pay back? 105 or 100 plus 3%? So I'll say that again. Suppose you need to buy £100. Which is the lower amount to pay back? Is that £105 or would you pay back £100 plus 3%? That's the 100 plus 3% because that would be I would say the same thing here. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's good, but believe it or not, this is the one most people fail on. So people believe that paying back a percentage uh, costs more than paying back the final oh. all-inclusive amount. And they and in some of the um, studies, uh, basically, this, this is attempting to find uh, find out if people can understand the basics of um, of basic interest. But it, they they point it in the study to to maybe consider why people take on so much debt unnecessarily. So it's a it's a big 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 thing out there. It's um, very interesting. I think you've already passed three, but we'll head we'll head on to the next two questions. Number, yeah. <laughs> number five. If you put your money into a high interest savings account for two years, and the bank agrees to pay. 15% per year on your money, will the bank add the same amount of money in both years or more in the second year? Uh, it will add more in the second year, but you should take this up with Martin Lewis because he wants to know which bank is paying you 15%, um, something like that, I guess. <laughs> Friend of the show, Martin Lewis, of course, is very keen for you to put your money into what is actually an extremely high-interest savings account. Exactly, yeah. If the oh, bank's oh. paying 15%, don't bother with stocks. Yeah, yeah so I want to put my money into this bank account that's paying fifteen percent. Uh, I'm sorry, guys, but you you've gone way too complicated there, and you've missed out the risk equity premium. So uh, you're just going to willy nilly put uh, your your money into a bank account that's paying fifteen percent, even though inflation is thirty two percent. Yeah, you failed. I'm going to yolo it into a <laughs> savings account. <laughs> Um, but yeah believe it what's what's worth pointing out here and you guys must be shocked at this as well is how simple these questions are right Mm. that's that's the most important thing that we need to think about here and it's it's important to get over to anybody who's listening right now is that these questions are stupidly simple and if you know the answer to these questions and you can get three out of six of these questions then you are 30 to 40 percent better off than your next door neighbor who can't answer these questions. And it's so important. And it was just very revealing to me that 55% of the UK cannot answer these simple 
financial questions and it may be you know this may be one of the reasons why we're in such a horrible cost of living crisis why certain people are living so hand-to-mouth all the time because they don't understand these simple and basic terms and i thought that you would have some sort of color on this that you might be quite shocked by this as well yeah, so there are a couple of interesting things that I've sort of seen in this area before. Um, there was something that I saw someone talking about with the government lifetime ISAs, where basically you get paid 25% on your deposits um, from the government scheme, uh, up to um, a maximum of 4,000 you're allowed to deposit into a lifetime ISA in any particular year. And I, I definitely remember seeing someone getting confused on that and thinking the government were going to compound whatever was in your ISA at 25% in the form of a bonus kind of each year. And they quite rightly on that basis worked out that, look, if you compound stuff at 25%, you can retire in like 15 years or so and actually be be pretty well safe. And then with a lifetime ISA, that's got to run a fair few years before you can draw it down. And you're going to be sat on a huge amount of cash by that point. Unfortunately, that's not quite how that works. You only get the kind of 25% um, sorry, uh, bonus once. And then you have to try and invest it and work out what you want to do with it and so on. And if you manage to move it at 25%, that's well done to you, not from the government in that way. But definitely mm. working out kind of compounding rates and that sort of thing is is really interesting and quite important for uh, figuring this stuff out, I think. That's it. It's the difference between simple interest and compound interest there. And knowing the difference is, is very important. It, it is worth saying that LISA is still a straight up 25% arbitrage straight into your account. So it's well worth doing. And anything you earn on top of that will be considered compound interest after that, wouldn't it? Uh, especially if it's invested. But it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think compound interest is really one of the trigger points for a lot of people investing. I think the first time somebody gets their hands on a compound interest calculator and they type in some arbitrary figures and, you know, yeah. some figures that they've read in a book, you know, six and eight percent and they're going to contribute three or four thousand pounds to an ISA every year. And then they just press that go figure and they think, whoa, that's a, that's a lot of money. And then you change the rate from, you know, six percent to seven percent and you, you change the number of deposits from two to five. And then you see that number is exponentially bigger by the end of it. And you think to yourself, oh my God, I've got to do this. And I should have started 10 years years ago yeah i think we see that a lot i mean because yeah. i hang around a lot of like the discord and the, and reddit and the community a lot of people come along and they say Could somebody just show me how this compound interest works you know what i mean how, how, how does this work and, and mm. it's a simple mathematical formula but it, it's very much the trigger point for getting people interested in this and i think that's mm. If we are going for true financial literacy, then that's something that should be shoved in front of every kid's nose at 16, 15, 16 years old and say, just look at this. Just look at this and how it works. You know, if you do this, this could be this by the time you're, you know, 40, 50, 60, especially as we appreciate now that cost of living has got exponentially more expensive and property has got exponentially more expensive. Uh, the earlier you start, they absolutely, you know, better. And we look at people like Casper, who does all our editing on the Highlights channel, um, and we think in, he's, he's, he's 21 i think he's 21 he might be younger yeah, than that. i'm not quite sure how old he is but he's yeah. going to be so rich by the time he gets it if he <laughs> yeah. just keeps contributing the way he is so long as he doesn't like keep buying like getting gets like swayed onto spacks by some of the other guys <laughs> on the uh, the discord like he does occasionally take a trip down and he just sticks to what he knows stay, which is really stay in your lane so, so stay in your lane and, mm. and try to compare i mean even even like young while he's still figuring out like life um and maybe not quite understanding balance sheets and things like that just yet like why not start your index funds why not just get the ball rolling in that index fund and then later on if you decide oh well, i'm actually warren buffett i'm going to do this then start to spack out into into the random stuff um it, 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 you know it's, it, it's a good way to start and it's just not very exciting and i understand that and a lot of people want to be excited by this and getting into it but i will i will say looking at these questions we've got one more to go which is still a very simple hitch around uh, compound interest but i think i might have failed this two or three years ago i really do think i might fail this and just and, and i think i might be the prime example of of learning about these simple basic uh parts of personal finance and then actually fully realizing within two years that extra 30 to 40 percent return because that's kind of where i'm i've, I've gained i i'm definitely 30 to 40 percent better off than me two years ago and that is just mm. by learning these very simple things and i think the most important one like you say is compound interest 
Fair enough. Here's with the last one, Paul. <laughs> right, the last one, number six. And uh, it is worth saying that five and six, you only have to get one of them right to get the point but you can only get one point off that but it doesn't really matter and by the way this is uh, i said it again this is taken from both the french and german one so the the word is slightly different um if you add 100 pounds to your bank account and the bank adds 10 percent per annum <laughs> how much money would you have in five years would you have exactly 150 pounds would you have less than 150 pounds or would you have more than 150 pounds okay good more. i was getting a i was getting a pen and paper ready then yeah, for a moment i was, like, I, I was worried when you said how much is it i was like wait a second that's I, so it's 110 times another 10 percent of 110 times yeah. another 10 percent of that it's, it's more than 150 i'm not sure exactly what it is when i first saw this question when I said, first saw this question, I was like, oh, shit, I've actually got to calculate the number. And then it gave me the three options afterwards. And I was like, thank you, Because my financial literacy doesn't go much further than that. <laughs> but what's the answer, guys? Uh, it's more than more. No, of course it is. 10% of 100 is £10 over five years. Uh, and if you're a financially literate person, you would know that that you get more than £10 every single year and that compounds over compounding interest. There's another basic uh, example of compound interest, but again, lots and lots of people fail fail on this. I don't have the stats in front of me because I have the, I'm, I'm planning to make a video on this because I thought it was really, really, really important. But the study, the stats from the study is, is so wide and varied. They can... <laughs> so... One of the one of the things I, I thought was really cool, especially in the French one, uh, the French statistic broke it down into which uh, which way you leaned politically. So they found that left leaning and right leaning both have a thirty percent pass rate on this, which was very odd. So if you consider yourself a left wing uh, in left wing party politics or in right wing, you're going to roughly uh, pass 32% of the time. But if you consider yourself centrist, you are going to pass 42% of the time. So simply by having a centrist uh, political opinion, you are more likely to pass. And there were so many of the uh, demographics and things that you could get through, which were really, really interesting in this one, particularly in the French one. And the German one was quite uh, good as well. £161.5, if you care, Paul. <laughs> yeah, that's... Um, yeah, it's, it's good. It, did you just put that into a compound interest calculator, or did you uh, actually do the math? I did the maths. Uh, <laughs> I, couldn't, I don't think I could do the math. I, I really don't think I could do the math. 161.057, I think. Look at you. I just thought it was really interesting, guys. I thought it was... Thank you for playing with that with me. And I hope people at home have either learnt something or found that they need to, I don't know, pick up something a little bit more. Or, you know, if now feel in a much more secure position, knowing that they're 30, 30 to 40% better off than somebody who doesn't know these basic things. And hopefully we can push out to more people and open a few more eyes about things, particularly, like you said, with compound interest. I thought it was really good. One of the things I think they've led, Paul, is that they do not miss when we used to play games every week. <laughs> it doesn't matter. This, is, this isn't a silly game. This is a real financial thing. I think it's really important. Um, but I believe we have a couple of stocks uh, for you guys to talk through this week. Do you want me to go first, Steve? Yes, please. Okie doke. So, uh, Paul, you've been away uh, the last time we recorded, and I promised people that I was doing a bit of a deep dive into the Swiss exchange, and uh, I've been sidetracked, I'm afraid, and that happens an awful lot. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, I've decided to switch away from the EU exchange and come back a little bit closer to home. Um, so, look, I've got a pitch here for a British publicly listed company. Uh, it was founded in London in 2000, just after the dot-com bubble. Uh, it's a digital transformation consultancy, and they specialise in software and automation. So we've often said that there's very little tech in the UK, and uh, I hope this one sort of gets the juices flowing. Um, 
it's about 52% down from its highs last year. So it's a, te- it's a tech stock, all right. Um, so digital transformation <laughs> consultancy, what, what is that? Um, essentially, they receive your tech outsourcing. So uh, if you're a big industry and you don't have the required team to physically make something like a web uh, website or something like an app or something cloud-based or a database, uh, then you turn to this company. And a lot of big companies do. So they've got Volkswagen, um, Macmillan, shipping company, Maersk, Mask, mask um, are the ones that they name, but they're really secretive with this because it's quite a it's quite a busy sector, and they don't want to go talking about all the companies that are outsourcing in case the uh, the, the the you know the the competitors start hitting these people up with cheaper prices. But they mention airline providers with over 100 million customers, a worldwide insurer, one of the largest health tech companies in the U.S., and they're even working <laughs> with the popular SPAC STEM uh, on building out their smart grid system. Now, I've talked to the guys off air on this. It must be a good yeah. SPAC because it's not under 10 it's currently at 16 and a bit dollars so that is a sign of a good spack i think um <laughs> so i've just got a couple of little business metrics for you just to sort of get you off um get you off I'll get me I'll off yeah i'm in my sexy room business- so uh, get me off <laughs> <laughs> couple of business metrics for you paul uh market cap is around four and a half billion uh pe trailing is about 54 forward pe Unless it's depending on the analyst, on the analyst you want to go with, uh, it's about twenty eight. Um, so just it's still the name stops. Just the name stops. Just to just to get you out of your flow a little bit. Don't name don't don't spoil it for me, Paul. Okay, okay. Um, so look, Stop this it, company. Paul. I'm getting close is... here on this PE of twenty eight going forward. <laughs> yeah, he's really getting me off. So, <laughs> this this company is not cheap, and I want to I want to explain to you why it's not cheap. Um, and the short answer is really is that it's growing like an absolute weed. Um, revenue on average uh, over the last five years has increased thirty percent per year. Cash flow on average has grown a hundred and five percent per year. Earnings on average has grown 33% per year This over the last five. Uh, in the same period, shares outstanding has actually increased by 20%. But I'd urge you to accept that for what eventually ends up being 5x revenue per share growth, 4x EPS per share growth, uh, and over 10 times free cash flow per share growth. And uh, all of that uh, free cash flow growth has been achieved whilst only expanding CapEx by about 4x. So meaning over the last three years, operating margin has improved from a pretty slim-looking 11% for a tech company, to a much healthier 14.6%. And they've actually managed to do this whilst increasing headcount. Uh, last year, there were about 7,000 employees, and now there are about 11,000 employees. So I'll explain to you how they actually manage this later. Um, so this this looks like it's going to continue as well, just pulling out some forward guidance for you. They were actually guiding for 46% top and bottom line growth, despite macro headwinds this year. And they'll hit this too. Uh, revenue is already ahead of last year's full total with a quarter left. Earnings is already 30% above what they uh, they managed last year with another quarter left. So this revenue is spread out quite nicely as well. It's only about 33% of it in the US, 21% in Europe, 43% in the UK. The top 10 clients account for around 35% of revenue. So there's a little bit of concentration there, but this number's falling every year. Uh, they've added 50% to their top tier customers last year, and that's defined as customers who spend over a million pound a year with them. So I'd expect that that, that movement to continue to the positive. Um, so look, margins are great. Uh, margins are improving. This is a cash today sort of company. So why is it down so much? Um, the answer here is primarily Russia's war in Ukraine. So this company keeps its costs down by employing a lot of tech from uh, sort of the Middle East and Central Europe. So about 75% of its workforce is in a NATO country, but that means 25% are not. Uh, 12% of their workforce alone is based in Moldova. Uh, so they have delivery centers in Macedonia, Bulgaria, Romania, Serbia. They also have some South uh, American delivery centers, too, uh, in Colombia, Argentina, and I think it's Uruguay. Um, so look, Moldova is uh, a target for Russian aggression. It's been touted as the next target for Russian aggression. And that sort of sector of, uh, of their business accounts for about 9% of current company revenues. So... I would urge you to consider that, you know, the risks of if this war does happen. Um, at the moment, I think the effects uh, of, uh, of this are somewhat overblown on this company's fortunes. And uh, I think the gains to be seen off the back of this are, 
are pretty good for a company that's growing like this. The discount you have got to factor in is that all of this workforce is pretty much in a politically unstable uh, country of some jurisdiction. There's high chances of civil unrest. There's high chances of outside force uh, unrest. But, you know, risks aside, I, I like this stock up a lot. Um, this company is called Endava. Uh, they trade under the ticker D-A-V-A. Um, it's a UK company, and it trades on the NYSE. I really, really tried <laughs> to, to find a UK company. I didn't find one. Um, it's an ADR, so it's a depository receipt. Um, it doesn't have a primary listing, so you can't buy it in an ISA. Uh, but mm. it is available in a general investment account. And, Paul, I looked up for you. There is no dividend. <laughs> it's uh you've made it sound absolutely amazing uh one thing that does strike me as 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 bad like you say is the uh, political unrest and a lot of investing right now the rule to go with is don't fight the government or anything with you know look at china anything with any political problems and again i've, I've suffered from it as well um it's highly risky right and um, obviously this isn't one for any probably any of us at the moment because you can't hold it in nicer so yeah quite very interesting i do own this stock now actually just in full oh, disclosure i bought it in my um in my other crazy blitzscalers pie uh, i shoveled something out <laughs> for it i can't remember what it was but i just uh, i was very very taken with this company that's uh, a very mm. high risk pie so it fits in quite nicely in there i actually don't think um I just don't think Russia's in any position to be threatening anyone at the moment. So I think that no. risk is, is slightly over overblown. But even if they were to threaten and continue that threat out on, on somebody like Moldova, this is... it is only 9% of revenue of a company that is growing exponentially using, you know, a lot of um, different sort of middle and central European companies as well as the South American countries. I think there's room for this country to uh, this this company to grow uh, quite a bit, to be honest. Uh, I was looking at its biggest competitor in this specific sector is, is called Globant, and it was looking at Globant and looking at the competition that I found in Darver and realised that I, I liked it a hell of a lot more. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, I mean, I think this is a, a really interesting company, a really interesting sector, um, and I think it's a smart a smart way of, of employing tech, really. You, you're saying this the yeah. day before we think that, Putin's going to announce something pretty ridiculous that he's going to launch a full-scale invasion at some point. Um, so we'll, we'll see, definitely. But that sounds really cool. Go on, Steve. I mean, your chances of getting Paul to buy anything Russia adjacent at the moment are sort of fairly slim, I think. So this isn't uh, a stop <laughs> for him after the after the last one. I had a couple of other uh, related thoughts. Uh, for what I think of it, it's, it's up to the kind of um, viewer or listener to judge for themselves on anything that we say for what it's worth. But um, especially on how you want to calculate the risk of some sort of political action happening, that's that's not ours to kind of uh, present you something you should take our word for, you should think about it yourself. But um, Steve, from what we know of the customers that they have, and I get that they don't tell you about many of them because you don't want to broadcast who might be in the market for these kind of services um are they mainly uk-based customers that we know about or us-based customers or a combination or somewhere else it's actually spread pretty evenly so 33 percent in the us 21 percent in europe and 43 percent in the uk so these companies are fairly fairly broadly spread out and it's not often that you see a company that you you know that you perceive is dealing worldwide that seeing us as um you know one of its smaller sectors so i that's why i yeah. believe there's room to grow out there oh, that's Go something on. i kind of like actually i and not the fact that it's spread more the fact that it's not us heavy because i'm um, i think of the kind of general trend that i'm hearing a lot about at the moment is onshoring um, not necessarily away hmm. from Eastern Europe particularly, but back towards the US from wherever it is. Most obviously in the case of semiconductor manufacturing, but probably also in some other industries as well, one way or another. Um, and I think I think that's more likely to be a kind of ongoing trend in the US than it is in the UK. So I, I think it speaks well for this company that the bulk of, uh, there's a bigger part of their kind of revenue base that Firstly, isn't the US, and secondly, is the kind of UK. I think the US, UK is more likely to kind of talk about ambitions for onshoring and so on, and less likely to actually sort of do anything that will will make it happen in the same way. 
it just smacks of opportunity to me because you're seeing here that they 43 percent of their revenue is in the uk you would say that's that they must be fairly well penetrated in that market but only 21 percent of it coming from europe that's pretty small 33 percent coming from the us that'll be pretty small amount i think they only do about 650 million in revenue total so uh that just smacks to me of opportunity i think yes i, I agree with you that americans do tend to employ their own tech uh, and um they tend to build them things themselves but the, the sort of things that um and are building are, are quite large sort of web app databases sort of user experience things uh they're, they're even working on things like uh buzzwords like blockchain and virtual reality and um and um other things like that essentially so they they seem to be quite broad based they seem to have teams that could cover every aspect and you I mean you'll know just from going to speaking to anybody in tech they kind of have specializations and and you might have a team that's really really good at um looking at the back end looking after the back end of a system and keeping systems running but then when it comes to uh building a brand new system th their skills are just not in that department and you know somebody like that is when somebody would go okay well we'll get endeavor in they'll build all the front end and you guys build all the back end and you know we'll put something together that that works for the company so i think that's that's essentially their business that's their strengths I was just looking through uh, the news on Indava stock um, partnership with Snowflake as well. So the the US um, penetration is actually there as well. Looking through some of the news and some of the clients that they've got, it's very very possible that uh, bringing it in on the NYSE is 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 big. I can't believe it's a four billion dollar company. I can't mm. believe it. That's so good. What have you got, Steve? I've got another company of about the same size. It's another proper tech stock, by which I mean it's down by about 47% since the start of the year. Um, this is Guidewire Software. It's uh, it's more of a CRM than anything else, but it's quite a specialist sort of CRM. It's a CRM aiming specifically at the insurance sector. So it's got things like a claim center and a billing center and a place where you can kind of manage policies and that sort of thing. Um, and they've recently added on a data business, which is pretty much the biggest anywhere on property casualty um, uh, stats and data and so on and so forth, which is kind of helpful for insurers who need to use data to make decisions and so on and so forth. We won't talk about that too much. This has a market cap of about 5.2 billion when I looked earlier today. I think the stock is down today, so it's probably lower. Now that it's Sunday, it's probably got a market cap of about one and a half billion, which will ruin everything that I have to say about uh, valuation in a little bit. But broadly speaking, here's some stuff about the business. Um, the insurance industry hasn't changed very much since the 1950s, actually, in most cases. And that's a feature of insurers tending to be, by nature, quite risk averse. So when they see some new techie thing, they tend to not commit to it particularly soon. They were very slow to get out of their panic on uh, Y2K and all the kind of uh, mania around that. Um, but that means that they're systems advance at a much 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 slower rate um, and that's fine for most of the time but if you're still using 1950s systems you're starting to reach a kind of problem point where there aren't any developers that use uh, an affluent in 1950s um, programming anymore younger developers don't know what they're kind of doing with those things and you need something that they can kind of use and speak to and help you with so there's a whole bunch of insurers then that are looking to kind of upgrade their systems and there's a big battle for them and Guidewire is winning it. Uh, they currently cover about 25% of the direct written premiums, so ordinary property casualty stuff, and they're winning it by some way. They win more deals in a year than all of their competitors combi uh, combined from what I see of it. It means, though, being 25%, there's plenty more of that market that's not accounted for yet in theirs. Um, if they're the biggest player with 25% and there's not a huge number of others, there's still a long way to go in terms of getting more stuff. And getting more stuff is what they're up to at the moment. So what you want to do in this kind of sector, we've talked about CRMs before, but just to remind people is basically you want a big install base of your product somewhere um, and then you can kind of make your money by selling renewals and high margin add-ons and things like that so uh, what they're effectively trying to do is get people onto their system uh, for the time being and they're doing a reasonable job of it they their sales have doubled um so they've compounded uh their growth from 13 to 26 to 52 uh for the last three years they're probably not quite going to double it again this year but they are adding um new clients at quite a rate 
we know these businesses tend to be sort of fairly sticky as well. Uh, once people are in that system, they don't tend to get out. And indeed, Guidewire has been operating for 20 years now, I've got written down, and it's never lost a customer to a competitor, uh, which I think is kind of a fun stat. That's the broad overview of the business. That doesn't tell you quite why I'm buying it yet, but any thoughts on it so far? Who, who are its competitors? Uh, their biggest competitor is a bunch called Duck Creek, um, who... When I looked, they have fairly similar kind of approval ratings uh, to Guidewire, but they're a distant, distant sort of second. They're, they're the bunch who might do something in terms of grabbing a meaningful share of the kind of remaining market, and a lot of the market is there to be grabbed uh, by kind of cloud and um, software, uh, modern software-based uh, systems. But they're the one to keep an eye on. Then I'm not sure whether they're publicly traded or not. I think they might be. Um, but they're, yeah, they're a fairly distant second and they're also a, a specialist bunch here. So there isn't a kind of, there isn't a kind of Salesforce insurance, uh, or something like that. If that's kind of what you are, um, interested in, there is a kind of Salesforce nonprofit, hmm. which bothers other CRMs, but yeah. Yeah. I'm just looking at their, um, I'm just looking at their, well, their various financial sheets now and they're, they've got mm -hmm. quite, a, quite a pile of goodwill in there. So I guess they've been quite acquiring heavy. I'm looking at, um, selling, um, selling expenses and R&D expenses, they're up, they're up a lot as well. They've almost 4x to their R&D expenses in the last 10 years, and uh, the same really with their selling general and administration expenses. So it, are, they, are they experiencing some tough competition at the moment, or is this something that they just need to do to keep in front? There's a couple of things that are bringing that about. To the Goodwill point you mentioned, they've recently acquired something called Hazard Hub, uh, which is a massive property. That's their data thing, uh, basically. It's uh, the nearest lazy comparison related to this show that I can think of um, is LSEG acquiring Refinitiv uh, or something like that. So they now have a great big data thing that, yeah, that got spent quite a lot on. Um, they can't really do it by raising debt because they're not profitable yet, uh, and you don't want to take on huge amounts of debt if you... Um, aren't generating the cash to cover it. The reason that um, kind of expenses associated with sales have been going up is they're busy pivoting people off of license systems and into cloud uh, systems, which they are thinking should pay off longer term, but that is uh, driving up cost of sales at the moment. And yeah, you're kind of right here, Steve. Their, their financials make them a tricky proposition to value, and I'm reluctant to get into anything mm. that I can't kind of value very well. So I've had a bit of a bash, but... It takes a bit of a bit of doing here because it's loss making and it's free cash negative. And worse yet, as you point out, some some acquisitions there are, are kind of making their accounts look funny um, and harder to sort of predict. But here's the things that we know uh, about them: they're about 812 million uh, in revenue, and they have a market cap of 5.2 billion. So six and a half times sales. If you're interested, which I'm not. Um, based on where interest rates I think are likely to be and so on, I'd be targeting a 6% return because I think that'll be higher than uh, a 30-year bond and I think it'll be higher than inflation in the long term. I know obviously we're losing to inflation at the moment with that, but I'm expecting it to settle below 6%. So what does that mean? I'm looking for 11.5 billion uh, in free cash over the next sort of two decades, which gives me two questions. Number one is what is the free cash flow margin going to be when we get to actually producing free cash, we're not there yet, when we start kind of adding on the higher margin stuff, and what's the growth rate going to be? Um, and just looking at kind of other CRMs and tech companies and software in particular, uh, companies, eventual kind of free cash margin of around 30% seems kind of about where I think this is going to uh, settle, which means what are we going to take with a 30% margin? What kind of growth do we need to produce enough free cash to justify an investment at 5.2 billion today. Um, and the question then comes, well, when are we going to get to uh, free cash positive? And if it's next year, um, then revenue would be fine at 1.3 billion, uh, which is a 23.5% growth rate over a year, which strikes me as unlikely uh, for Guidewire. But if we're a bit more patient and we're prepared to wait out to year five, uh, we need 1.3 billion in revenues. That's a growth rate in revenues of 9.87, which seems to me quite likely actually they could do that. Um, and if we're prepared to wait it out till year 10, uh, it's an 8% growth rate. We need um, on a 30% margin 1.74 uh, billion, which from where they are is 8% in growth rate. That also seems kind of achievable um, to me. 
So forecasting, they're forecasting 10% this year for what it's worth. So it's on track for their hitting their mark in year five if they start to turn free cash positive there. And with a kind of decent runway ahead, I, I reckon they probably can do this. It feels all quite tight at the moment, doesn't it, in terms of not finding much of a margin of safety stuff. But if you think about these kind of starts turning free cash positive in year five, I don't think it's going to turn free cash positive in year five. I think it's going to produce enough money to justify that in year five. It's been free cash positive for a few years now and coughed up 87 million sort of here and there and so on. So the cash coming off that in the first place kind of gets you your, your margin of safety here, I think. And if you've got a longish time horizon, I also think, by the way, it won't just stop after 10 years and then not grow at all. Um, I think these kind of things will continue to move up past once they've uh, reached their kind of uh, growth number that I'm looking for uh, on these things. But um, I think this could well get there uh, with these sorts of things. It's a stock that's highly out of favour at the moment. Uh, no one likes expensive looking tech companies. No one likes unprofitable tech companies, especially. Um, but when people don't like these sorts of things, I like to go looking for them. And Guidewire kind of catches my eye in uh, the way that a lot of them do. I mean, you can see it on these stats, they've got a pile of cash. Um, they're not actually losing as heavily as you would expect. And I'm just looking through the free, the free cash flow here. In 2017, it was as high as uh, 130 million as well. So that, yep. you know, they, that's quite impressive conversion metrics. You can see the point where they must have pivoted away from selling an annual product to selling uh, selling something in the cloud because you can see those margins have started to decrease. You would assume as that because they're running two products side by side, one of which, you know, the money is realized over a longer period. So you can see those margins of they've dropped from being around 65 percent to around 43 and a half percent. But, you know, you would expect those margins to, to start uh, those at least for gross profit, sorry, to, to start increasing again. And if they can get that 43 back up to 65, then this company should generate quite a, a decent whack of free cash flow, which makes your figures sound quite, quite plausible. Um, the only guest reservation I've got with it, it does have a little bit of debt. I assume that's from the the big acquisition. Um, but yeah, it looks interesting. Steve, it looks interesting to me. It does have a bit of debt in there. Its debt's covered by its cash, and you're dead right to point out that you don't uh, want too much debt knocking around in a company that's not generating profit here. I mean, the correct thing to do in this situation, if you really need to finance something and you can do it, would probably be to do it through stock uh, for what it's worth because you have to pay back debt and if you're not free cash positive what the hell are you going to make an interest payment with um but yeah it's when i looked at its debt i think it was lower than its cash on hand its total debt so that made me worry a bit less just having a look at it now cash on hand 254 versus 300 but if you add stock to that it's about 1.1 billion uh in cash and oh. equivalents so it, it is quite considerably covered but it's covered a lot so i'm just looking at this through my phone you basically got the same amount of goodwill as you do in debt which is I, i'm i'm you know i'm trying to find holes here i'm I can't, I can't find too many to be honest with you you've made a really good case i'm just trying to look through the cash flow and everything myself the only thing really that that sticks out in, like immediately is that increasing um uh net loss that keeps coming every single year we're in we're in a trend for net loss even though our revenue is going up in it and i'm just having a look at some of the acquisitions is it is it is this revenue going up by acquisition they made a big acquisition they've made pretty big acquisitions for the past two years haven't they and that's what's mm -hmm. that's what's been going on there so yeah and they, what do they sell they sold something in 2019 they sold something big um that might be mm, yeah as well they spun something off by lots of things um yeah interesting very very interesting i'd like to know more about exactly what it does um because uh, this this is well out of the competency range for me at the minute but i'd, I'd love to know a lot more about what it does just to to really get my head around it yeah just looking at this um you can actually see the correlation between the net uh, the gross profit starting to slip i mean if you pull this uh, this up guys on roic.ai and you type in guidewire um you can actually see the the drop in the gross profit as that starts to slip the net income obviously starts to turn negative so this is mm. a company that you know 2016 was my uh, net margins of three and a half four percent whilst Still growing at a fairly decent clip. 
but then they've obviously started this transition to cloud, and you can see the effect that this uh, that you know that the this had to their accounts. And you, if you actually have a look and compare this to Adobe when they started to do their transition as well, you'll see the same thing. And Adobe went through a period of time where people really disliked that stock because they didn't believe mm. the the switch to a monthly subscription was was the right idea to do because the mm. monthly subscription was cheaper than the annual subscription. But the idea being that people would sit on that for uh, for a lot longer and and would not stop paying, uh, and that's what's paid out for Adobe and gives them a lot of predictability mm. in the revenue and things like that. So yeah. this is the transition that Guidewire are on, but we are rather than Adobe, which has matured and then now and now on the opposite side of that, you're looking at something that is currently going mm. through the transition of um, you know tuning down the gross profit trying to sell a, a, a monthly or, or a more regular subscription product and the you know the net income is suffering temporarily because of that it'll be a while till their metrics start looking like kind of classic easy valuation uh, stuff I mean it will start to look a bit like my thought is Salesforce and then it will start to look a bit like Adobe and then it will start to look a bit like um, I don't know maybe Intel eventually and if you're looking for a dividend it's going to be a very very uh, long wait I think I'd be surprised if they ever pay one I think they would probably more likely do it through buybacks if they wanted to return capital but i think even that's a way off yet for for these guys they're still very much in kind of aggressive growth no, mode they see a market they want to get hold of and and they're going for it yeah no this is a this is a this is a standard undercover kind of software <laughs> stock it's not a it's not a big old you know flashy got to grab investors kind of kind of software stuff this is under the under the radar and they're going to need a little bit of um they're going to need a little uh, bit of incentive to push through to get some more investors in i think i think that's what that, I, I, I mean, not now obviously we're a long long way we're a long way for it but this isn't a google where they're gonna sit on cash for thousands of years I think this looks to me like one of the software companies that somebody like Vista Equity Partners just kind of just kind of soaks up and becomes you know part of their private equity company because it's just kind of got it's got a kind of steady business, it's got a large share of it, yeah. it's got a you know recurring subscription to it. it. It looks just like a Vista Equity Partners kind of business. Yeah. This is a what? this is a twenty billion dollar Adobe buy. This is, isn't it? This is because of the drop, <laughs> like so far. This is the sort of company that's going to get and going to get acquired for stupid amounts of money compared to was, what it's actually valued at right now. Was this the company Steve, that you buy. said you you guessed was going to get acquired at some point? No, I wouldn't mind guessing that this was going to get acquired at some point. Uh, it's about the same size. It's slightly bigger, actually, than the company that I guessed was going to get acquired at some point, but it's doing slightly better. The company I guessed was going to get acquired was Blackboard, uh, which is the social good or non-profit yeah. or um, fundraising CRM. Uh, yeah, that, like all my other predictions for this year, is currently going very, very badly. Um, but we'll see. Far, far below January 19 and January 20. Uh, prices mm. here you you go yeah historically you're doing really well this is this looks really really cool for anybody who's interested in like that future prospective growth there's a lot going on here isn't there? um scary scary as well is it scarier mm. though i'm just going to move you on move you on to finally wrap up is it scarier than getting your nose bitten off by uh a, a uh, Secretary of Operations of Beyond Meat, and is it uh, was it worth six percent drop today and twenty five percent over the past five days? I bet you didn't even know about this, did you, Steve? W? You've you've got to be, I have not seen a story. Really no. pissed off. You've got to have really <laughs> pissed off the the chief chief operating officer of a plant based meat company if he is to try and bite your nose off like like a cheap Vinnie Jones film. <laughs> have you, uh, Steve? What I want you to do is just Google it and tell me if he looks like the <laughs> chief operating officer of uh, a plant-based meat company. And just anybody out there right. listening right now, just to, just to wrap up, does this guy look like <laughs> crazy? Beyond Meat is down 6% today and 23% on the week because their, sen- their chief operations officer bit off the nose of some guy i would like to know if this guy eats meat or not i'm not entirely sure to be honest with you this is doug ramsey by look of googling him right that i'm looking at here yeah Douglas uh, Ramsey. Yeah. yeah he he looks like i, I mean he what... looks like a man who would bite off another person's nose um 
does, doesn't he? It's absolutely crazy. So yeah, he's uh, bitten off the end of someone's meat. Um, I don't know if he eats meat or if he was just if he was hungry. But yeah, he got very angry in the parking lot, and Beyond Meat is getting punished for it. And I'm not sure why, because his bail is only about eleven grand, and that's not that's not anything off the market cap at all. Anyway, <laughs> final thoughts wow. on that one. <laughs> the guy looks like the guy looks frightening. Um, and he looks. He still looks like he's still angry in his prison picture. So he, he must have really, yeah. really, really been either hungry or annoyed or angry. He's still so pissed yeah. off. <laughs> even in his even in his, his um, in his photograph, yeah, he just looks like a career criminal, doesn't he? He just yes. looks like he's robbed like, a bank or something. Uh, absolutely crazy. Anyway, I thought I'd just leave it on that one. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for listening this week, and uh, we'll see you next week again.